You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. There it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Happy New Year. Come on. Glad to see you today. Great to see everybody online. Welcome if you're just joining us today or from Mosaic South or Fort Worth. Happy 2024. Thanks for joining us online last week and, of course, on Christmas Eve if you were here. So great to be with you. Uh, of course, we're online last week. It's been a couple of weeks since we were together. So sports terminology, it's time to dust the rust. Here we go. Going to get going here. Actually, would you, Carter, would you hand me that white mic right there? I'm getting a little pop here. No worries. Thanks. Carter May, everybody. All right. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm going to start uh, the, the year and this message by saying something uh, a little shocking, which is this. What's he going to say? Uh, I love the local church. I love the local church. I love the church. I love this church. I love the church of Jesus. Now, on one hand, of course, you're probably thinking that's not so shocking because he is, after all, the lead pastor. It's his job to love the church. And besides, if he didn't feel that, he probably wouldn't say it, right? So you're thinking what he said isn't shocking at all, but it really is, I think, true. I do mean it. I think it is kind of shocking that I love the church of Jesus as much as I do. Because even though I didn't fully commit my life to Christ until I was in college, I grew up in church, like some of you, went to Sunday school, like some of you, and I went to youth group in the 90s. I mean, that ought alone, alone ought to get me like serious church street cred for life right there. And then I got, as we used to say back then, radically saved uh, when I went to college. And I became part of a great ministry, but it was also kind of a weird ministry, too. There was some weird people, and I saw some weird stuff. And I mean, you know this, if you're a lifelong church kid, you've just seen some things. And you've seen some weird stuff. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I went to a church one time, that was maybe the most charismatic church I'd ever been to. Now, I love charismatic churches. I am charismatic. Uh, but it was one of those churches with the thrones on the stage. Some of y'all remember that, right? Uh, there was a throne. There were thrones on the stage for the pastor and for the elders. That was just a thing some churches did. Now, listen, 20 years from now, people are going to look back and think it was weird. We had screens in here, TVs in the lobby, or whatever, so it's all good. But this church had some thrones on the stage, and they were right in the middle of the hole. And I know this is going to sound weird for some of you or give you flashbacks for others. They were in the middle of the whole slain in the spirit time in the church, okay? Where pastors, they went around putting their hands on your head and you, were, you fell over to show how powerful God was or the pastor was. And so this one Sunday, the pastor came down from his throne and he made a beeline for where I was sitting with some of my friends. And at some point, he achieved like full-on missile eye lock with me. And he was coming for me whether I wanted him to or not. And he was laying hands on people as he passed by. And they were falling over. And sure enough, he came to me. He put his head, uh, hand on my head in front of hundreds of other folks. And when I didn't fall over, he just pushed harder. <laughs> he pushed harder until I was literally laying sideways in the pews. True story. L laying sideways. And when the hand went away, I bounced back up. 
like an inflatable in a parking lot. And I never went back. And that brings me to what I'd like to do for us and with us right now today. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, that's about at least one of a hundred weird stories I could tell you. And some of them are way worse. So again, it's kind of shocking when I say I love the church of Jesus as much as I do. Now, part of the way, part of the reason that is, part of the reason why that story I just told us stuck with me was because I had actually experienced the real thing for myself a few months before where people I knew and I trusted were praying for me to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And with no one even touching me, I felt a weight and a power come down on my body so strong, like one of those lead blankets you get put on you at the dentist. That's how I would describe it. And I had to sit down because I was about to fall down. So I knew the real thing was and is legit. But despite all the stories like that and others and all the people who said stuff and do stuff and maybe haven't treated me as great as I thought I should have been treated. There have been so many more who have been amazing to me and have loved me and shaped me and really have changed my life. And as a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say the church of Jesus has saved my life. It saved my life because it's taught me a few things. And so I want to talk about a few of those things right now, today, as a way and a means of creating value for you and for all of us around something, maybe you didn't even know you needed value created around it, and that thing is the local church. So today is gonna be just me, the lead pastors doing something I do from time to time, which is just sort of talking to our members and longtime attenders about something important, one day, one time, for something on my heart. So if you're not a guest, or you're just a visitor today, really, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Really, they're all great. But you picked a great Sunday to be here because while I'm not necessarily preaching or teaching from a long Bible passage today, we will do that next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. There is no shortage of Bible teaching here. We keep the Christian scriptures in high regard here. But if you are a guest, today is just gonna give you a look into why I think you should totally be a part of the church of Jesus and maybe even a part of this local church, Mosaic. And I'm gonna encourage us before we're done to do your, our part, do your part, to make sure this church remains vibrant and healthy and strong this year. And I'll come back to why this year is so important before we're done. Okay, but first I wanna talk briefly about how the church of Jesus saved my life. I sat down I thought about it, and here are four things, could have been more, are more, four things the church of Jesus did for me, and I think does for others to save people's lives. Are you ready? The answer is yes, we're ready. Okay. Am I coming whether you like it or not? Number one, the church informed my conscience. The church informed my conscience. It did this in a whole lot of ways, but particularly with how I treated people and specifically with how I treated and treat other women. In specific, it taught me this. It taught me to treat other women like I would treat my own sister. Basically, I was taught if she's not your wife, not your mom, treat her like a sister. And that helped me so much because not only is that Bible language, right, brothers and sisters in Christ, but it saved me from so much trouble. Think about all the scandals you read about from all the pastors and leaders in the church and people outside the church 
who don't do this, who didn't do this, they got it mixed up. They started treating and touching other women like they were their own wives when they were not. I mean, can you imagine how much trouble they could have avoided if they'd had a conscience informed deeply and permanently by this? You say, Morgan, well, this whole you know, sister in Christ thing, it can get a little strange. Maybe, but only if you let it. Only if you let it. And in the end, I'll say this. I'd rather be accused of being a little strange than a little immoral or a little adulterous or a little lecherous or a little promiscuous. And since we are talking about the 90s today, we actually aren't, but I'm gonna go there again because I brought them up. There was a Christian band back in the day that had a song about being okay, about being seeming a little strange to the world. And the line I liked in the song went like this. Some may call me foolish, some may call me odd, but I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. Yeah. And that line stuck with me and that line stayed with me. So it's okay with me if I'm a little strange in this way with you. And besides that, if you're honest, you don't care if this sounds strange for me. Because I'm pretty sure as your pastor, you're actually believing and trusting I'm going to live this principle out with every single woman in here and all the amazing women in this church. I mean, men, you're going to you're coming here trusting I'm going to treat your wife, your sister, your mother as if they were my sister. And you don't even care if it sounds strange. Why? Because you know it's the right thing for me to do. And if it's the right thing for me to do, it's the right thing, men for you to do. The church of Jesus informs my conscience. Number two, the church taught me I had a purpose. Second way to save my life is it taught me I had a purpose. I mean, Carrie, Carrie and I, we kind of laugh about this bit now, but the big message back when we were in college was this. You have a destiny. You have a destiny. Now it sounds a little Star Wars-y, right? You have a destiny. It's mildly threatening. It can kind of be, you know. It was such a big message that there were songs about it too. And we sang this one of these like, I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill. I have a destiny like a city on a hill. We sang that. And maybe that seems a little strange too. Y'all aren't like, you're like, that was weird. But again, I think singing something like that is better than singing something like this. Your life has no meaning. When you die, you rot. Take what you want and try not to get caught. It's not really a song. I wrote that. That's why it's not very good. I just, I made that up. That's why it's not good. Trying to prove a point. So again, even though it might seem a little strange, still in something inside that was a truth I still believe, which is that you and I, every human life, including unborn lives, have a purpose. We were made on purpose by a God of purpose, he's a designer, right, yes, for a purpose, and while it may take and does take a lifetime to always see what that purpose is and those purposes are, we at least know this. We can know that the first purpose in our lives is not ourselves. It's not ourselves. In other words, the church taught me that God made me, he was involved with my life, and there was something bigger in life than just me and the self, again, literally, Thank God. And I was taught to pray, God, show me your purpose for my life. And no, while the answer didn't come to me all at once, in some ways it still hadn't. And while many times I kind of didn't want God to even answer that because I already had some prearranged plans for my own life. 
Ultimately, I found this to be true. Opening the door to God's direction, God's plans and ways and will is way better than doing life with just my own direction and own plans and own ways and will. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes so far as to have a name for a person who only lives with their plans. The Proverbs call them a fool. Call them a fool. You're foolish, the Proverbs says. It's foolish to live like you are God himself and not to seek out his heart and plans for you. Because as simple as it sounds, the truth is God does love you and he does have a plan for your life at minimum, which is just to know him and to love him back. And beyond that, follow this. I think if you knew what he knew about you, you would at least want to ask him about his plan for you. You can trust him. See, the church saved my life when it taught me purpose. Three, the third way the church saved my life is because it taught me to be generous. It taught me to be generous. Now, I won't be long on this one. Heads up, we'll be taking a few weeks next month to explore this topic at length. But I'm so glad the church taught me to be generous. And I saw, I saw my mom and dad, no matter how much we did have or didn't have, I saw them tithe and give every month. And no matter how much we had or didn't have, God always provided. He was always faithful. And even when I wasn't serving God with my, my whole heart, I still tithe. I think I've tithed and given on every single dollar I've ever earned in my whole life, whether I was serving God or not. And when I was in college, my mom and dad gave me, I remember this, $80 a month for an allowance, 20 bucks a week. And I remember being in a worship service where there was an offering being received for this <clears throat> ministry initiative. And I remember standing there with that $80 cash, four $20 bills in my pocket. And all of a sudden, the thought came to me, you should give $20 right now. You know what I thought? I was like, that's the devil. <laughs> like, <laughs> that cannot be God. It's the first Sunday of the month. That's like 25% of everything I have. Get thee behind me, Satan. I rebuked it. <laughs> But even though I had clenched teeth, I still gave it and made its way into the plate, and I never missed it. You know what? I don't even know what happened to the other 60, but I do know what happened to that 20. God used it, and he's still using it in a small way because I'm telling you this story right now today. And the church, therefore, taught me this. It taught me to give first, save second, and live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. And so that's what we teach here, to, to give first, Fund God's kingdom, save second, fund your own kingdom, and then to live on the rest. And living that way has saved my life, and I'd like to think it saves a whole lot of other people's lives as well because it's kept God involved in my finances, it's curbed my own appetites, and it's, God's used it to bless other people as well. Imagine if we had a nation full of people who live financially like that. Number four, number four, church saved my life because it taught me to be a part of a global family. Taught me to be a part of a global family. Remember as a kid, my parents hosted a missionary in my home one time, our home one time, uh, who came to America from, I think it was Nigeria, and his name was Lottie Ballou. Lottie Ballou. And Lottie was a very kind, very large, very dark-skinned African man with a thick accent and a huge smile. But more than all of that, he had these three lines of huge scarring, scarring on his face. They were deep and large, and you couldn't take your eyes off of them. And he had gotten those scars when he had become a Christian. 
and he turned away from the idolatry in his tribe. And his family let him go, but it came with that price. They carved up his face to mark his choice. And so he bore on his body, as the Apostle Paul put it, the marks of Christ. And I never forgot that, obviously. And I didn't learn that from an American I learned that from someone from another nation. And then when I became, I became a Christian in college and I became a part of this ministry, which this church is a part of, called Every Nation, I started going to, to these events called World Conferences. And back then, there wasn't much of the world, Adam. They were really pretty small. Just a few hundred people there. But I heard people from all over the world praying in other languages. And for the first time, this thought really struck me and landed home. I know it seems ridiculous, but I realized that God's first language was in English. Can you believe that? And not only was it not his first language, it wasn't even his only language. There's so many languages God spoke and understood and understands. And it made me love the world more. Why? Because I saw John 6, 316 was really true. God so loved the world. He said, love the world. God didn't just love America or want to bless America, which of course he does. But God also wanted to bless the whole world and loves the whole world and wanted to use me maybe even to love and to bless the world somehow. Listen, I love, I love my country. I love America. I hope you do too. Love the red, white, and blue. I've got a lot of military members in my family and Carrie's family, some of whom have paid the ultimate price to defend freedom. So thankful for that. And yet the Christian scriptures are clear I'm a citizen of heaven first. I'm a Christian. A citizen of heaven first. And while the gospel of Jesus isn't and never will be a political party, it does sometimes have political implications. A couple of which are that Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our king. Our citizenship is in heaven first, which is why those first Christians, you know this, were killed by Rome. They claimed Jesus was king Jesus was Lord, not Caesar, and that heaven was their real home, not the Roman Empire, and they were slaughtered for centuries because of it. You're like, well, I got real, real fast. The pagans said Rome first. Christians said Jesus, heaven first, and they died for it. See, when nation comes first, not Jesus, violence always gets justified in the name of the preservation of the state. And the irony is anyone who does violence in the name of Jesus only does so because they can't see they put nation first and not their God. It's hoping I'd get an amen or two, but that's cool. Listen, it's true whether you like it or not. I'm so glad the church taught me not to live like that, but instead to be a part of a global family. Now, those are four things the church has done to save my life. I could go on, but I'll stop there. But here's the big idea for today, like you saw in the video. Living for Jesus has made me better. Living for Jesus has made me better. I know on one hand, the phrase can sound a little selfish. That's not why I live for Jesus, but it is an inescapable part of living for him because living for Jesus, if it informs your conscience, when it reminds you God has a purpose for your life, because it teaches you not to be stingy, and it makes you part of something bigger than you, now it turns you into a person you kind of wish everybody else would be. More moral, more hopeful, more generous, more secure, 
It does that, so it makes you better. But the church doesn't just make you better. I think the church also makes the community and the city better. And one of the questions I've asked our staff over the years, we come back to this, uh, is this question. If we went away tomorrow, would the city miss us? If Mosaic Church is shut down, no more nothing, would the city miss us? And, and I think, at least I'd like to think, the answer would be yes, the city would miss us. I think the fact that we serve roughly 150 unhoused people a week, not just out there, but on our campus, helping people to remember that they are human and made in the image of God and they are loved by people is a big deal. And when you combine all of that with all the help that we do help and partner to provide to get people back on their feet and get homes and jobs, overall the shalom, the peace of the city is increased not decreased. I think the fact that the city of Austin honored us for our efforts in literally saving lives in 2021 back in the winter storm shows that it would miss what we can and do provide in times of crisis. We want to make the city better. I think the nonprofits of our city would miss us. Not least of all is because of our annual Live Big initiative. Over the years, we've raised more than $600,000 for that. Yet, not to mention the other ministries and charities and missions we give to. We, again, want to make the city better. I think the city would miss the way we serve schools through providing all the mentors we do and all the teacher appreciation events we put on throughout the year. We want to make our schools better. And I think the city would miss, though it couldn't put its finger on it, all the counseling we provide, the premarital counseling we do, uh, the marriage counseling we do, never gonna show up on anybody's spreadsheet, but it does contribute to the overall welfare and well-being of a city. This is called preventative care, and it just makes the city better. So yeah, following Jesus in a local church can make you better, and it makes the city better, and I think following Jesus in a local church can make our nation better. The church can make the nation, this nation, better in two ways. First, again, because of its generosity. In 2022, not sure what the numbers were last year yet, but in 2022, churches and Christians together gave more money to combating poverty and hunger in the U.S. than the federal government. It's true. And 40 of the 50 largest nonprofits in the U.S. are faith-based. So, so if you're here and you are, you are not rooting for churches to succeed, or even worse, you're kind of rooting for them to fail, you ought to think long and hard what a country would look like without those type of resources available and that type of investment provided. Second, churches can make the nation better by being the conscience of a nation. Not just for individuals, but for the nation. The church once was, and it still can be again, the conscience of the nation because of the teachings of Jesus and the truth and example found in our scriptures. We can be the conscience of our nation. So churches can make you better, the city better, the nation better, and they can make the world better. And here is one specific way how. One of my great passions, you likely know, is not just the church in general, but the multi-ethnic church, like Mosaic in specific. Now, sociologists, I'm not sure why, sociologists define a church as being multi-ethnic if at least 20% of that church is not what the majority group is. Like, uh, in other words, one group is 80% perhaps. Uh, it could be any group, Korean, black, Hispanic. And then if another group is at least 20% or more, white, Indian, Chinese, any other, it would be considered 
multi-ethnic. Now, I'm not here to question if that's the right way to define it. I'm just telling you to make my point here. That's how it is defined. Now, in the U.S., thankfully, between 2005 and 2020, a 15-year span, the percentage of multi-ethnic churches in the U.S. grew from 7% all the way up to 16%, more than doubled. Yeah, again, those are churches who have just 20% of a one-group non-majority. Now, churches like Mosaic are entirely, functionally, and dramatically, enough adverbs for you, dramatically in, in a different category, but we still fit in that category too, you see. So that's the good news, partially because of their recognition of the good multi-ethnic churches can do, and partially because America is just browning, the percentage of multi-ethnic churches doubled from 2005 to 2020. But since 2020, that number has fallen by more than a third. Actually gone backwards. Polls, surveys, and research all say the current and aggressive reverse trend away from multi-ethnic worship, away from worshiping with someone not just like you, boils down to one factor. One factor. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. And a specific feeling at that which is this. It's a feeling that that group or those people love their candidate more than they love me, people like me. A feeling that those people, that group, loves their political party more than they love the people in their own church. So one group looks at the other group who looks at that group back across the table at another group and the other group, and they have a feeling And another feeling, and another feeling that those folks don't have space for people who vote like you, vote like me. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it at Mosaic? If the church is supposed to be a sign and a witness, Leslie Newbegin, if the church is supposed to be where the culture needs to arrive, Crawford Loritz, what are we going to do about it? If churches like Mosaic make the nation, and maybe the world better, and I think they do. What are we gonna do about it? Jesus of Nazareth, and you're finally like, here's some Bible, said this, Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus said, by this. Would you say those two words with me? Say, by this. Actually, one more time, and put the emphasis on the this. By this. All people will know that you are my disciples. Not the disciples of that candidate. Not the disciples of that party. Not the disciples of that leader. Mm. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. Disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the divine second person of the Trinity, who from all eternity has existed, come into our world, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and would be buried and raised, the disciples of Jesus. He said, if you, in other words, it's conditional. There's a God part. There's an us part. He said, this will happen. The world will know you're my disciples if you all vote the same in 2024. That was his big plan, you know. 
He said, if you love one another. And he said this to whom? Come on. A room full of who? The disciples, upper room. One of whom, let's remember, was an Israel first nationalist who advocated violence from his political party, from a party that advocated violence. The other was a tax collector, an Israel last sellout to a foreign power. He enriched himself on the backs of the poor before he met Christ. See, one put nation first, one sold it out and put it last. Sworn enemies, different politics, yet Jesus picked them and said, follow me, and if you two can love one another, the whole world will know I am who I am. Yeah. He's saying... Jesus is literally saying, the church can make the whole world better. How? If the people with him around the table simply love one another. So my goal, my hope this year is twofold. First, you believe everything I just said. Jesus makes you better, city better, nation better. And second, my great hope this year is that we would love one another one another. And that to do that this year, I hope that not necessarily you'll listen to the news less, but that you'll listen to Jesus more above the voices of Fox News, CNN. I got a list here, NBC, ABC, Drudge Report, Joe Rogan. Above all of that stands another person with a way better permanent podcast called The Bible. The person that if you are a Christian, you say has saved your life and if you put him first and trust him for your eternal salvation, why wouldn't you trust him this year with a temporary election? Why would you move away from his followers and the church you say that you love if things get hard, times get tough? I hope you wouldn't because I think we can make our city, nation, and world better this year, 2024, if we will love one another. So you say, how can I make this practical? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. A few ways we can ensure, I think I got like 10 of them here-ish, 10 ways we can, you can ensure that your church, this church remains vibrant, healthy, and strong this year and make our city, world, and nation better. Here we go, 2024, number one, here they are. <clears throat> Refuse to post anything inflammatory on social media. Even if that goes so far, like, I don't even care if it's like, the cowboys stink. Don't even do that. <laughs> Let's all just contribute to making our country more of a non-anxious place, all right? All year, just smiles. Number two, refuse to comment on anything inflammatory on social media. Do you know why? Because it never does anything. You're like, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Number three, refuse to look at social media. <laughs> Number four, refuse to even say. <laughs> Some of you, you said it. God, it's just, already broke Morgan's resolution for you. Number five, serve and join a mosaic community where you can live out John 13, 35. Over another. Next, six, give financially every month to help us continue the kind of influence and help and service we provide. Uh, number seven, pray. Oh, yes, pray. Number eight, be here weekly. I mean it, be here weekly. Finally, participate in the fast this week. It's a really big deal, really big deal to participate at some level. Please do this week, all right? And actually, one more bonus content, number 10. We're gonna receive communion right now. 
as the people of God on the first Sunday of the year, of course, this is our custom, first Sunday of the month, people of God to receive the Lord's table just like those disciples did with their Lord in that upper room at which he told them to love one another. So we're gonna sing a song together. It's actually an original song here at Mosaic. Some of you, many of you know this. This is called The Beautiful Body of Christ where it talks about the kind of people we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to see one another. So I'm gonna ask you to stand right now. Our band's gonna lead us in a song. You can get your elements ready. Don't take them just yet. If you're online or at home, you can get these ready. We'll come back and receive this all together in just a moment. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.